everybody welcome to the 209th edition of the holy backboard podcast i'm dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling here just got second place on a large field tourney feeling pretty good about my uh, decision to roster anthony simons on 40 percent of my lineups tonight well that, that's some good news but i i think we should start off the podcast by discussing what took place this morning um i woke up to the news that one of my childhood heroes had passed away you know uncle cliffy clifford robinson um was released by a family member or a friend that he was you know dealing with lymphoma and that you know cancer is just awful and it's completely heartbreaking that he was taken too soon. I mean, he played his first eight years in Portland really was our sixth man. He won sixth man of the year in 93 and all-star the next year in 94. He really is littered all across the, the trailblazers record books. And he did that primarily coming off the bench, which is incredible. And Casey Holdall um, said it, said it best on Twitter that in today's day and age, you're probably not going to get a player of his caliber to really accept a bench role for that many years. But it was almost like that, that cycle of life when it comes to basketball players, Jerome Kersey was drafted in, in 84, but the Blazers already had an established veteran in Kiki Vandeweghe and Kersey had to wait his time. And then he kind of took the mantle and then we drafted Cliff Robinson in the summer of 89 and, you know, Mercy was at, at his peak during the, those title runs. And then slowly, but surely Cliff was really clear that he was the heir apparent. And, and then he, he took that spot. So it was um, just a really tough moment, you know, tried to celebrate Cliff's life uh, as best as I could today. And what, what makes someone like Cliff special is from all accounts, just a wonderful teammate but the fact that he had, he spent a lot of time in Portland after his career was done. And those are the, the, the players that I think the, the fans really gravitate towards. And it's almost like we love our city. We know we don't get a lot of free agents, but we're, we're proud of Oregon and, and its beauty. And when players are either drafted by us or, or they come here via trade, when, when we see them fall in love with the two, that, that just makes that, that bond so much Four players. I'm wearing my 1990 finals hat right now. Four players from that roster, Drazen Petrovic, Kevin Duckworth, Jerome Kersey, and now Cliff Robinson have all been taken away. And it's a team that made me the, the fan that I am, I grew up with this team. I don't know if I'm as diehard of a Blazer fan if I wait a couple of years and there may be, you know, just a first round team. This team was elite and, and winning really gets you excited. And especially when you're a kid, that was my squad. Like they were, you know, you had the five, but Cliff was always involved. Like it was, it was a big six in Rip City. And he was part of that. Like every kid, 
wanted to rock the headband because of Cliff. Like I remember just in recess and like first grade, just talking about, you know, what color headbands we would want to wear. And, oh, did you see that Cliff broke out the multicolor headband? Like players weren't doing that back in the day. Like, you know, Casey Holdall had a really good story. Um, you can check it out on his Twitter. But like Cliff was the cool one. Like I thought he, he described it really well. You know, Drexler was the superstar. Porter was the general. Kersey, the athlete. Buck, the hard ass. Duck, the gentle giant. But Cliff, he was cool. He, he was a little bit younger. He had his own dance, you know, the Uncle Cliffy, which he kind of brought to the, the community after Portland clinched uh, 1992 finals berth, that, that game six victory in, in Salt Lake City. And, um, you know, I know Rashid Wallace really credits Cliff Robinson for being his one of his mentors. He also credits uh, Kersey and, and Duckworth a lot too. So it's, you know, you, you see that that lineage of, of trailblazers kind of passing it on for, from one to another. And that just doesn't happen um, for a lot of franchises. And so that that's really... It's really fun to see, you know, different eras interacting with one another. And Cliff was one of the OGs, if not the OG stretch fours, stretch bigs of his time. I mean, you're looking at a player, Sage, who was about 6'10", nimble, could guard any player three through five, could play three through five, could shoot threes, could put the ball on the floor, could pull up, could post up if you want to, uh, he was ahead of his time. And, you know, I know we we did a TBT uh, of game four of the 92 finals and that series flipped or that game, excuse me, flipped when Rick Allen went and put Cliff at the five and he was able to dominate a much slower Bill Cartwright defensively. And he set that tone. I mean, this is a player who slipped somehow. They said he had character concerns coming out of Connecticut, which we didn't see in Portland. And Portland gets a steal in the second round. Well, we all know what happens in game three of the first round against Dallas. You know, Buck gets like an eye laceration. That's why he's wearing goggles the rest of his career. Duck injures his hand, is out the first six games. Portland is now going up against the rookie of the year in David Robinson, and he's not no regular rookie of the year. He's two years removed from the Naval Academy. He's a 24-year-old grown man. I mean, putting up Hall of Fame numbers his rookie year. And Cliff held his own. He was starting at the five against Robinson. Holds him to three of 11 shooting, just nine points. And he played a crucial role in Portland, you know, advancing in that that seven game just slugfest. I mean, that was that was a heavyweight bout. And, you know, you're looking at a player who played 18 seasons into his 40s. And like I said, he is all up and down the Trailblazers record books. You know, he's second in blocks, fifth in points, fifth in games played, sixth in steals, seventh in threes, 10th in boards. Um, you know, shout out to former Blazers PR, Colin Romer. He's now with the Timbers. Um, for, for that, I saw that tweet early on in the morning. And, you know, he's he's just one of a kind, Sage. He's only, I believe he is one of three players in NBA history, along with Dirk and Rashid, with a thousand threes made and a thousand blocks. That's via Casey. And then via Justin um, Kubatko, he's the only player in NBA history with at least 1,250 threes, 1,250 steals, and 1,250 blocks. Like the quintessential Swiss Army knife at the forward position. Lamar Hurd said it on the broadcast. Cliff Robinson is a max money player in today's NBA. I mean, he he would dominate. And it's it's gut-wrenching 
to see like one of my heroes like it is is gone like this is a this is a team that like shaped me as as a person you know i was lucky to have like i, I love my parents to death and they're easily my biggest you know inspiration but but this team i'd be lying if I, if i said they didn't play a large role because because they did like i was out there as a young kid and i'm looking up and you know that that team was 95% black like i didn't really you know care about that like i saw i saw like they these were my like heroes growing up like they're my role models and i think that really helped me today just to, like to love and appreciate all people like i didn't care if Danny Ainge was white or, or Cliff was black. Like, they were blazers. And it, it's it's a sad day. It's It was tough, you know, especially after, you know, Chadwick uh, Bozeman passed away for, from cancer, colon cancer the night before. And then I, you know, I woke up to this news and you're almost just like, can, can we get a break? <laughs> I mean, it, it's just been an onslaught of, of horrific news. And I, I hope all of our listeners out there can share their favorite Cliff Robinson story. If you're new to the fandom or joined before Cliffy joined, you know, do what I did when, when Maurice Lucas passed. Um, you know, I, I definitely wasn't bored when he played, when, when he raised the, helped raise the banner in 77. But over time, I, I went back and realized how vital he was to that team. You know, you're talking about how he was our enforcer and he was really the, just the guts behind that squad. You know, YouTube's out there. Cliff's got some highlights. There, there's the videos uh, of all three. Yeah, like there, there's a, educate yourself because, you know, once a trailblazer, always a trailblazer. And, and Cliff was one of the greats on and off the court. People had so many good things to say about him. Um, just, just t- terrible news. And it's, I've got posters on, 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 on my, my office and in my blazer room and, there's one in particular where it shows like all six are big six. And I'm like, three of those guys are no longer with us. And that team was 30, 29 years ago. It's, it's just weird. It's heartbreaking. Uh, Thoughts all go out to his friends and family and his loved ones and just thoughts to all, all of blazer blazer mania. Like I know we're all dealing with a lot of stuff right now in this pandemic. And then we're, also, you know, watching our team in the playoffs, but but Sage, uh, I thought it was a really nice touch that the team went out. I, I listened to Terry Stott's post game. He didn't say whose idea it was, but whoever I, whosever idea it was to all pay tribute to him with the headband, that was beautiful. And I, I know Cliff's family really appreciated that. For For people that grew up watching that era of Blazers, I, I I know it affects them because honestly they're not that much older than 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 us, and you know you see that like this is the team that you saw as a child, so you have a huge uh, love for that team. Like you said, it's the team that made you a Blazers fan. YouTube is a resource. Watch watch some '92 Blazers. I mean, there's a chance you won't see Blazers basketball for a while, so. You know, the foundation of what we see today is the 77, the 90 teams. Like when we first started the show, I probably watched, well, zero Bla- 91, 92 Blazers games because I was one years old and I ne- definitely didn't watch any 70s. So if you wanted to be, if you wanted to like be a real Blazers maniac, 
those games are out there. There's resources. Talk to people that actually watch the games. Like I know uh, Blazers What has a lot of women that were like fans of the team when they were when when in the seventies and then the nineties. So yeah, and it's you know incredible to see all of the. It's incredible to see all of the the tributes to Cliff. You know, Scottie Pippen had had a wonderful tweet. You know about he never played with Cliff. But, you know, he competed with him in, in those 92 finals. And Pip was also a trailblazer himself later on. So, you know, it was nice. It was just a really nice tribute that, that he put together. You know, Rex Chapman uh, played played with him in Phoenix. Um, you, you've you got Eric Musselman mentioning him when he was in Golden State. Bobby Marks when they traded for him in New Jersey during his last season and, you know, Rashid on whether it's the knuckleheads where he was a, a guest or at the Bonzi Sheed tech podcast always references that, that cliff was just so vital in him becoming a stretch big as well and moving his game, uh, diversifying his game, which including, you know, moving around the perimeter and the Blazers are like a brotherhood. I mean, it, it's a it's it's a family, and, and you you don't necessarily always see that. Sometimes it's just eras are kind of clicked together for for, for one reason or another. It's not not right or wrong, but it it's you know me uh, as a you know diehard fan, I, I love it when I see the different eras like get together and they talk and they're, they're intertwined because you know they're all a part of of the history and the culture um, through tradition. That what make that's what makes you know this fandom so special. And it was just, it, it was tough news. That that's that's really all there is. I've been watching a lot of highlights, and I'm I'm sure it's going to hit me later on, even more. Like I don't know if I fully processed it, but it's, you know, it's it's almost. When I first heard it, I immediately thought of one of our one of our longtime listeners, like from 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 the jump. One person that we both follow. Her, her name is Kim Thrasher, and that's her favorite player. She's got like a complete wall dedicated to Cliff. Like that's who I thought of immediately. And so, you know, when people lose someone they look up to, like I never met Cliff, ne- never met him once, but he had an impact on my life growing up, played a role in how my life and, and what my hobbies are now. So for that to be, for that part of it to be gone, that that, that that's tough. Um, I, I hope they're able to honor Cliff with a patch on a jersey next year. I, I hope they're able to do some sort of virtual memorial. I was fortunate enough to attend Jerome Kersey's and Kevin Duckworth's, and both of those were so so powerful, so emotional, and moving. Um, but again, it's it's tougher once people keep dropping off because now you're looking at, okay, there's Clyde and Terry and Buck. And those are all of the the main Mark Bryant still around as well. But really of the six, you got three of those left. And my heart also goes out to Bill Shonley. Like he's the mayor of Rip city, the elder statesman and having for him to see countless friends and colleagues and, and players that he, he grew up with this franchise with to pass away 
And he's also called upon to be the rock for Rip City in times of these. You know, if there is a virtual memorial, you know they're going to have Sean's be that MC, And for him to continuously have to go up there and see, you know, say goodbye to, to people he, he was with for so many years, um, that's got to be tough for him. So And you know, seeing people that are significantly younger than him that's, going that's the thing that, that's, tragically. That's so tragic is how young. And, you know, they were doing the tributes today before the games, you know, for Cliff, for Chadwick and Lou Dolson. And when it came to loot, it's like, there's no sadness there. I mean, you're, you're, you're really celebrating a, a wonderful life, a, a long life where he achieved, you know, great things. And I, I, you know, saying there's no sadness there was false. There, there's clearly sadness, but there's more of a, you know, you lived a long life. The other, you know, Chadwick and Cliff, just, just seeing two, two young men, and they're so young, um, still, still taken so, so early. That's what's really difficult to wrap, wrap your head around. And the Blazers have lost four incredible people, just so young. And it's, if my theory, again, I'm not an NBA player. I've never been in the locker room. My, my theory, just from hearing guys like Rasheed Wallace talk, is when you go through these deep playoff runs with a group of guys on a consistent basis, which the Blazers did, those bonds form for life. And more times than not, you're still in pretty decent communication with one another. Rashid was mentioning on the Knuckleheads podcast that every time the finals comes around, he, he won with Detroit in 2004. He still has a group chat every June. And they talk, hey, remember when we did this, when we did that? You may not talk to that person day in and day out, but you're still connected and you still probably do pick up the phone and check in once in a while. And so to lose someone that you really spent your, maybe your best years with, and you spent almost more time with them than your family, that's gotta be tough. And so I'm also thinking of guys like Terry Clyde and Buck today, because, you know, they've lost three of their brothers and that's tough. Like, you know, they always say you don't want to be the last one to go because it's, it's hard to, to see people leave. And that's why I was, you know, thinking of Sean Lee as well. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's just a, kind of surreal to see the one thing like outside of my family, you, you know, my circle, the one thing I love the most is the Blazers. And that's my all-time favorite team, the early 90s Blazers. And to see like three, four guys gone, words can't really describe i mean there's no way to really transition to it uh it's just been an awkward awkward time i mean it's kind of strange that we're we're even recording on you know saturday night this this date stage was not even on the calendar for blazers basketball game game five was supposed to be on wednesday but the the milwaukee bucks salute to them didn't want to play and they wanted to strike and they wanted some change and they mentally weren't ready to play basketball. And rightfully so after the police shot Jacob Blake seven times in the back in front of his children in Wisconsin, which is Milwaukee's home territory. 
and that kind of, you know, had a domino effect. And you heard Paul George the game before say, you know, he mentally hasn't been there. He's battling depression a little bit. You know, being in the bubble, it's difficult to, to be around and that, that's your only environment. And they're playing game after game. And CJ mentioned this, I think, pregame is, you know, they had more plans to do more, you know, strategizing and mobilizing around social justice. But when the NBA, and I get why they did it, they, they did games every other day because they want to get the players out of the bubble as soon as possible. But also when you have game, the next day's rest. You're not doing anything else. You're, you're resting. And at, clearly as the games gain more importance, as, as we get further into the bubble, your mind has to it just naturally moves away from from the issues in which that they came from you know that they came here to really use their platform for the most part i thought they did sage but i think seeing the images of what happened in kenosha really opened up wounds that have never healed that are incredibly fresh and they needed to hit pause and i again i salute them for for making that i think it was needed for for them to to have multiple days off to put together a plan of action okay if we're gonna keep playing owners nba commissioner front office executives here's what we need from you like taking a knee wearing a slogan on your back having black lives matter shirts on that that's not enough i mean it's, it's clearly still happening what tangible action items can we do and, you know, one of the big takeaways was they're going to now have, have polling sites at most of the arenas. And I hope they continue to do that. But it's, it's difficult. Like, I know, Sage, as fans, we kind of talked about early on in the bubble how we felt guilty watching them play. And I think the players themselves have felt a little guilty playing. Like, I know they want to be at home with their friends and families in their communities, putting their, their resources together to, you know, help with this fight. So I, I think, and I don't know why I didn't think about this, or really I didn't hear anybody thinking about this, but I think that could have led to maybe some of the, what I would say, not as intense games in, in the playoffs for Portland, primarily game two, game four, um, where they just didn't seem to have it. Uh, it. It's tough. And even LeBron said, like, I've got 50% focused on basketball and 50% focused on this fight for you know social justice that's so much to ask of these athletes. I feel like the NBA and the players, especially and the WNBA, like let's not forget them. They were the ones that paved this way. Maya Moore helped free a man who was wrongfully convicted from prison. She spent a whole season. Yeah. She took off a whole season to get this done. So they paved the way. And so you've got our athletes doing more for social justice than, than, than the government. And that's not how it should be, but I thank them for trying and, you know, it, it was just a, a weird last four days because now all of a sudden we're supposed to get back into playoff basketball mode and Clifford Hubbinson dies this morning. And, you know, Sage, it really felt like a, a summer league game to me watching this playoff game. I mean, Dame went home clearly to get treatment. And I, I think everyone knew that, that this was it for the Blazers as they fell. They fought valiantly. They just didn't have the horses losing by nine, 131, 122. The game was much closer, I think, than that final score indicated, Sage. 
But what a long, strange journey this season was that started over 10 months ago, I believe on October 23rd. Like that, that's the most wild scenario. Like we should be getting ready for training camp right now, but we're. Yeah. We should be talking about whoever we just drafted. The draft would have happened like two months ago. That's what's. Yeah. Like we would have free agent sign. Like, okay, this is like where the team goes on their annual San Diego trip where they get to, to know each other and they bond and, you know, they're getting ready to load up for the season there's just a bunch of unknowns right now, Sage. So it's a lot of information to process. And for our listeners, we're coming to you live. Like it's 10 o'clock, but the game ended less than an hour ago. Like there's a lot to process. Like when are we going to see basketball again? Are we going to see basketball again? If so, what does it look like? So I I tried not to get too upset watching this game. I mean, clearly Sage, we had a nine man roster. I mean, not, not rotation, a roster, obviously, Rodney, Trevor, and Zach were unavailable. Damian had the lateral knee sprain, which um, kept him out of game five and, and probably for the indefinite future in the bubble. Uh, Wendy and Gabriel had a quadriceps injury that caused him to be a game time scratch. And even during the game, Hassan Whiteside dislocates his, his left pinky and the Blazers are battling foul trouble the entire night. So I just want to thank the team for coming out and just fighting. I thought they had an incredible effort and, you know, C.J. McCollum, had Terry Stott not taken it out with two minutes, was about to go a full 48 on, on fractured back. Uh, that's, that's dedication. Like, if for anyone that says because the players, you know, took a strike, like they don't care about the game or I wish you could do that with your job, like gain some perspective. Like open your eyes and watch how these players just went crazy. The Blazers had the ultimate excuse, Sage, to pack it in, to just play their 48 and, and go home. Nobody would have questioned it. Nobody maybe wanted to be there. Nine healthy bodies, your leader's back home, you know, dealing with an injury of his own, and you're facing a 3-1 deficit against the one seed in the West. Nobody would have batted an eye had we lost by 30 tonight. Yet they went out there and they busted their asses off, and I think they showed the true makeup of this team. Like, they may be outmatched. They may be out, you know, undersized, undermanned, but they fought. And that makes me proud. Like, I'm not even, I'm not even mad. 4-1. We didn't get swept. We took one. Three of the games went down to the wire. We didn't have a half our roster. I mean, going into this series, we at least expected to have Dame the whole way, Zach the whole way. I mean, let's not forget Dame injured that, that finger in game two. And then he had the knee in game four. So there's – I'm not saying the Blazers win this series. I'm just saying a lot went against Portland. And yet they're, they're still up there battling. And, you know, I, I tip my hat off to them. Like, that makes me – it makes me a proud fan. And something – you don't feel like you're leaving on – you don't have a sour taste in your mouth. You're more – okay, I'm a little bit thirsty. Like, I could go for some, some more. Like, I can't wait to watch this team again – whenever that may be every person that played today had a point to prove whether it was cj stepping out of dame shadow Melo proving that he still got it nurk proving that he's healthy enough to play big minutes anthony showing that he didn't isn't as bad as he's shown gary trent showing that he could lock up great players jalen horde showing that he can 
play in the NBA and not look overmatched. Every player had something to play for and some a reason to try hard. Like Hassan Whiteside has the next contract in mind. Whoever, whatever team picks it up, he has to prove that he was able to play. Like every person had a a reason to to play hard. All I wanted was them to play hard. CJ shown that he can be the lead initiator of a team. Like a lot of things were proven in a loss. So, and I'm I'm perfectly fine with what happened in this playoffs. We played our asses off to get to this point. Shit just didn't go our way. On to the next one. You feel me? Like, um, yeah, I mean, you, you talked about CJ. I think that was the brightest spot tonight is time and time again. We, we've seen this over the past three years. Whenever Damien has to take a leap of absence, whether that's for the birth of his son or he, you know, has to miss a couple of games, CJ puts up numbers and, and he does it very uh, effective and efficiently. Like, he had the entire Laker defense keyed in on him. And again, he's doing this with a broken back. 36 points, over 50% shooting from the field, seven of eight from the line, seven assists. I know you'll love the six rebounds mm-hmm. and a steal. And, and he does that in 46 minutes. And that was an incredible performance. And it's why I continue to stay on the keep CJ train. Like I, I understand that people feel like he's our only way to upgrade, but he and Dame they're, they're tied at hip. They are legit best friends. And, but I don't want that to be the only reason that people think that we, we should keep CJ. CJ showed a lot of heart, not that he hasn't before, but again, continued heart to, to play and, he shows up in big games. Like, don't – it just happened last year. Do not forget the Denver Nuggets series, y'all. I mean, he played fantastic in that OKC series as well. And we saw what Devin Booker was able to do with the Phoenix Suns. Everyone knows what Bradley Beal can do with the Washington Wizards without John Wall. CJ McCollum is just as good as those two. He just doesn't get those opportunities to run the show. And maybe that's – the best thing that can come out of this is the rest of the league. No. Okay. See, CJ's really fucking good. Now I, I think there are ways the Blazers need to incorporate Damon CJ better because Sage, let's be real. I think they really are both point guards. I know CJ's more. He's more aggressive with his scoring where Dame. More, yes. He's more aggressive with the scoring, but he's unselfish when he's the lead initiator. A classic example was in the fourth quarter. He has a cooking, but he sees Caruso deciding whether to come to him or to stick with Gary Trent Jr. On the wing. He baits Caruso, which he could have had a, had a decent look at a three and passes it off to Gary Trent and, and he splashes at home. He is a good initiator. Dame's probably a little bit better and the Dame, Dame's clearly the better player, but I understand the point where they're very similar, but what I would like to see the Blazers do, and especially in the playoffs, when Dame's coming in like a flamethrower, we need to utilize CJ as that lead initiator and run Dame off of some screens and run him off a of ball. Like that's what makes Steph Curry so difficult to guard is because he's constantly moving. And, you know, if Dame doesn't have to shoulder all of that, that ball handling, get, get him some open looks. You know, if you're going to double Dame or you're going to keep eyes on Dame, Run pick and roll action with CJ and Nurk. Well, let CJ go. He's clearly more than capable mm-hmm. uh, of doing that. And 
So I, I think Terry Stotts has his work cut out for him a, a little bit this offseason and finding new ways because it's clear how teams are going to defend game. But I think the duo still can work without it being your turn, my turn. Like I think they can work intermittently. And, you know, we, we've seen when they're both cooking, it, they, they're game over. You know, GG's. When it is CJ's turn to be that lead initiator, I just looked it up right now. In the last two years, when Dame's off the court and CJ is the lead guy, effective field goal percentage of 50%. He has the ball in his hands 32% of the time. Like, he is a legitimate one. He doesn't have the advanced reads of, like, a Damian Lillard or a Chris Ball, but he is a legitimate one. Because of our roster construction, he's the two. But when you get to see him be the lead guy for 48 minutes – you see that he is an unselfish guy who can rebound assist. Like he was everywhere tonight. He was everywhere and everything for the Portland Trailblazers tonight. And if we're going to talk about CJ being a bright spot, I think going to the bubble, while it was difficult to see Zach Collins go out with another injury and, you know, the Blazers collectively said, you know, here we go again. We got good news out of the bubble. You know, it may have not all, all came at once, but I think the Blazers found two crucial answers to questions that they needed answers to. The first one I want to talk about is Gary Trent Jr. Wings of his status, of his defensive prowess, his ability to shoot the three quickly and effectively, they are in high demand. Portland has him still on his second year deal or as a second round pick. So he's, he'll be a value for one more year before he gets that bag. But Gary Trent to me, I I think is either your starting three next season, or he is your sixth man and possibly part of that finishing five, the ability for him to play with confidence. We saw him have the highest of highs where he was, you know, straight ripping the ball from James Harden and then just going down and pulling up from three, like he was on his CJ McCollum. And he's had a little bit of a low, like the right after, I, I think that game we lost against the Clippers, he had a little bit of a dry spell. He became known on NBA team scouting reports and they stopped, you know, leaving him open and he had tr- trouble. You know, we saw him clank two off the side of the backboard. Uh, I think he was against Memphis in that playing game or even Brooklyn, one of the two but he's able to have a short memory and he comes back firing and he made big shot after big shot down the stretch. It was one of his threes. I think that sealed game one and his, his ability Sage, what I love most, he doesn't back down. He's going up against arguably the second best player of all time in LeBron James. He's picking that dude up full court and and not backing down. Like he's going at him. Like he thinks he's the better player, which you need some, just great confidence to have. Irrational confidence type. You you need a little bit of that. And I think the team feeds off of his energy and his defense, and he's only going to get better. I don't think he maxes out as a 3 and D player. Like, if I were him, I would work on my handle a little bit Mm -hmm. and work on – you know how CJ's so good at getting to that mid-range? Work on that mid-range pull-up. You know, work on, you know, finishing it at the rim. And honestly, if we can get him moving without the ball – that's going to just open up the offense so much more. Nurkic is, is a great decision maker. CJ and Dame are great decision makers w- with the basketball. Um, 
that gives me so much hope and confidence going into this next season, knowing that we have really just one of the hottest commodities in, in the NBA, which is, you know, a six, four to six, eight wing who can shoot defend, and goes, I mean, he's, he's all out. Like he's energetic. He can shoot. He, he can defend. Like that is your prototypical role player. Like that is the ideal role player. And, and we have one of them. Like clearly we need more, but we have to think that we have one. And he basically came from like our farm system. Like he second round pick and he, you know, he earned his stripes got more playing time. He, he was a benefactor of an unforgiving season in terms of injuries. And that's kind of the beauty of basketball. We didn't have the season we wanted Sage, but this was the kind of the fruits of the labor. And we now have a really strong Gary Trent Jr. that we can count on and depend upon going into next season. You remember when the Brooklyn Nets signed every wing under the sun? They were trying to find a Gary Trent Jr. They signed Allen. They signed Torian. They traded for Torian Prince. Traded for Joe Harris. They're trying to find that player because of how hot a commodity that that t- skill set height is equal to. Like there aren't that many six seven s- smooth shooting wings in the world. So that's why you see the Brooklyn Nets of a few years ago try everything in their power to f- identify what that is, how to how to address it and give outrageous contracts to each and every person with the, the abilities to stretch the floor and be six, seven and defend. Like you saw in 2016, Solomon Hill got his bag because he was that height and in theory could shoot threes. We've in reality saw Gary Trent jr. Defend and shoot threes. People get paid tens of millions of dollars for the potential of what Gary Trent's showing. We have a commodity that is outrageously hot. Actually, we have a player that is outrageously hot. He's going to get his bag next year. He's a restricted free agent because we signed him to the MLE along with Seth Curry uh, uh, two years ago. So he will be a restricted free agent for us. Right now, we we have one of the best young guards who can defend and shoot threes. And, yeah, th- this bubble was a great show-out place for him. You know, I see a lot of people say, what if we had Ariza? Well, if we had Ariza, Gary Trent Jr. wouldn't be Gary Trent Jr. He needed the time to play. He needed the time to show that he could play in in the biggest stage against the best people when nobody else is doing shit because there's a pandemic out. Everybody who was watching basketball was watching him at that one time. It was great to see his confidence and how he was willing to shoot. A lot of people aren't willing to shoot. ton of other players where they're not confident and ready to shoot. Gary Trent Jr. is ready to shoot at all times, and that's what you need in this league. When you have players with the court gravity of a Dame and a CJ, you're going to generate a lot of shot, open shots for your teammates. Gary Trent Jr. is ready to shoot those shots. One thing I wanted to look at. So I looked at both basketball reference and hoop type. It looks like we have Gary Trent Jr. under contract through the 2021 season at 1.6 million. So we yeah. still have him for one more year where we don't have to worry about um, the, the bag he's going to get. Correct. And then Sage, the next question, the Blazers, I think, really wanted an answer going into this 
this bubble was Yusuf Nurkic. Clearly, he hadn't played in a year and a half, basically, after the, the gruesome injury back in March uh, of 2019. And like Gary, I think there were some ups and downs, but the way he came out with such a ferocity. I mean, those early games in, in the bubble where he's really bouncy, he's, you know, just really quick off of that pick and roll, finishing with, with you know, incredible dunks, playing just so many blocks. That first game really set the tone against Memphis. He damn near has a five by five. He almost does it again tonight against the Lakers with, you know, he had 16 points, 10 rebounds, six assists, five steals, and, and a block. So he's four blocks. And only like two turnovers, right? Two turns. 37 minutes. And yes, there are things Yusuf Nurkic could work on. But but again, I think we need to back the truck up a bit and slow down when we're talking talking about Nurk. Because he played we played five five games against the Lakers, plus a play-in game, plus eight bubble games, 14 high-intensity games where he's going. 35 plus minutes. And we know he's closer to a 28 to 30 minute player, especially coming off that, that long hiatus. So it wasn't surprising to see him come back down to earth, you know, midway through the bubble because fatigue sits in. And he's a big boy. Yeah. Nothing can replicate NBA basketball. Like he clearly trained to, to rehabilitate his body to come back as the double beast, as he proclaimed, but I still believe the Blazers got a resounding answer in, mm. in what they saw from Yusuf Nurkic, that the Heat is part of the core. You factor in that he's under contract for two more seasons at a very reasonable $12 mm-hmm. million dollar clip. And, you know, I, I love it when he's able to play under control. And that that's my one thing that I would have him work on. And, you know, I was texting, you know, I was like, I wish there was like a, I think Pete Newell used to have the big man camp back in the day where all the bigs would go and they would, you know, just, just basically get trained or, you know, you bring in Hakeem Olajuwon teams used to do that all the time to mentor their bigs. Nurkic tries to get, I think a little too cute sometimes. And he tries to thread the needle with every pass or make the highlight play. And when he gets the ball in the paint, sometimes he doesn't have the touch that you need or, you know, even forget a touch. Use your just, Bosnian beast strength and, and flush it w- with one hand. And I think maybe the latter didn't happen as much because of the fatigue that set in coming from, you know, t- having so many days, months, excuse me, off from basketball. But if, if Nurk could just be a little more decisive and crisp with his passes and more determined with his moves, there were a lot of times because teams are going to double Damon CJ. They're going to trap that pick and roll where he was able to slip that pick and roll. And he was in the middle of the floor mm-hmm. and he had, a, he had a shooter on each side of him and he had one defender, you know, as a big, you know, the refs love to love to call those charges. So you got to be mindful of that. Okay. Do I go, do I dunk on him? Do I have to slither around him for a layup? Do I kick it out? I think if I was Terry Stotts, I would put him in those situations in practice time and time and time mm-hmm. again, get him comfortable with being a decision maker. This team does not get out of the first or second round unless we get a decision maker at the middle of the floor. Yeah, teams, teams are going to continue to double our primary scores and we have to make them pay. That's why the Warriors are so difficult is because Draymond is an elite passer. Mm. 
and he knows what to do with the ball. And it's 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 safe. It's difficult to see open hardwood and you see the rim and not panic. Like, oh, oh shit, what do I do? I don't want to get this charge. I know like it's difficult just to kind of calm yourself and make the right decision. So I think if he can continue, and he's 25 years old, very young, if he can continue to grow and enhance his game from those aspects. I think that's when you really talk about him as the best center in the league. I still think he's top five right now. Um, he's only going to get better, you know, especially once he gets his stamina. But that's really what what will elevate him and really, I think, elevate this team. You know, as as he goes, you know, when he has big games, we're very difficult to beat. Mm, two things. I think of Yusuf Nurkic as a starting pitcher in baseball. We haven't stretched him out enough for him to go long innings you know what i'm saying like clayton kershaw is not going to the seventh inning because he hasn't been stretched out enough use of nurkic in this this shortened season hasn't been stretched out enough for him to go 30 minutes consistently and that's why you saw that's why you saw the floor games that Yusuf played it was because he wasn't stretched out enough he didn't have the stamina he didn't know what to do in certain situations the NBA isn't going to stop trying to get the ball out of Damian Lillard's hands. So that means that every possession that they do that, it's going to be a defense scrambling because it'd be four on three or three on two. Because if two are dedicated to Dame, that means it's the defense is scrambling. We need to find players that are willing to attack a defense that isn't set more consistently than we did because I felt like there was once it was in Nurk's hands, there was a sense of panic of what's going to happen. We need to have players that are ready to make that play when the defense is scrambling, when it isn't set because from what we've seen in this late season, that, that double off the pick is going to happen a lot. So we have to train our guys how to, play and score on a non-set defense, a scrambling defense, a three-on-two defense. Because if somebody is always open when there's only two defenders in the picture, so we have to find the way to work the ball into that open player and get a good shot on a much more consistent basis. So as we talked about Portland finding out answers to their questions one we're not going to get an answer on we're going to have to wait until next season it's unfortunate zach collins injured the third game of the season was out until the bubble injured in that play-in game against memphis with that with that stress reaction which will probably require surgery i'm certain he'll probably be ready for the start of next season whenever that comes in 2021 so, you know, that that's to be determined. But the other starting forward for the Portland Trailblazer, Sage, was really in from an, an unknown, not an unknown, but I think a lot of people would have been surprised had had you told them a year ago Carmelo Anthony was going to be starting for us in, in the playoffs. And, and Melo, even at 36, had 40 minutes, 27 points, pretty efficient, 9 of 16 from the, the field, got to the line seven times, converted six, seven boards, and he played a lot of the fourth quarter with, with five personal uh, fouls. Yeah. And the big question, so 
Portland got answers to their questions. There's another one now, and I think this is the, the biggest question on all of the fans' minds, Sage, is what do they do with Carmelo Anthony? I mean, clearly it takes two to tango, but if we're looking at the press conferences, which Carmelo Anthony was 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 answering questions during the recording of this podcast, you know, I have a few uh, quotes pulled up. The first one is from uh, Eric Garcia Gunderson uh, at Blazer Banter. Melo says... I pray that it can be in Portland. I think I found a home in Portland. And that was when he was asked what he values in free agency. And then when he was asked on the fit with the Blazers, he said, anytime you can be in a situation and be who you are, there's no need to try different things when it's working. And we heard a similar sentiment from CJ McCollum last summer when he decided to forego his unrestricted free agency in 2021 and signed an extension with, with the trailblazers. he, knew what he wanted and it's one of those if it's not broke why are you trying to fix it so yes Mello could just be in the moment Mello could be pandering to the the trailblazer audience but at 36 i don't necessarily think that's his style he's pretty outspoken uh, individual and you know if he wanted to go play in a bigger market or play closer to his his son no one's gonna bat an eye at that you know this could be his last go-round but it's a good sign that he wants to be here, Sage. Um, clearly, Portland doesn't have any rights. And Bobby Marks put out an article on uh, ESPN+. Plus. The Blazers have the $9.3 million mid-level exception and a $3.6 million biannual exception. I believe Melo played for somewhere around $2 million this year. Clearly, cash is no... He's no a very to, rich man. He's though. a very, you know, with the, with the Jordan endorsements, the commercials, the the double max contracts that, that he's had in his career. He has I don't done, think money is the, the object. Exactly. I, think it's, I, I think it's his love for the game. It's, it is his love for the game. And I, I would say that I can't lie and say I've always been 100%. Yes, I want Melo back. There are games where I, he dribbles a little bit too much, and I think he – feels like he's 2013 mellow again. And I'm like, I don't know if, if this is a championship caliber forward at, at this point, but then there are games throughout the bubble stage where we talked, he, he bailed us out six, seven, eight mm-hmm. times with, with clutch threes. Um, when he's catching and shooting, it's basically automatic when he is on the block against either a weaker defender or a shorter defender. It's or exactly a younger one. Yeah, it's exactly – yeah, he's the pump fake. How many times did he get Kuzma on that tonight? It's like Rodney Hood on Jamal Murray in the Western Conference semifinals last year. I mean, it's easy money. It's hand over fist. You're going to keep going to that well. I think he's a veteran presence, which the Blazers desperately need. We've talked about we can't continue to ask Dame to be the entire leadership of of the Blazers Mm -hmm. and take on all the offense and, hey, go out there and, you know, maybe guard the best player for for stretches of the game too much for one person so to have an og a future hall of famer like carmelo anthony he demands respect so if something's not going right he's going to speak up and you're going to listen otherwise you're going to find yourself without a job so i think locker room wise he has already gone through what i want to say (laughs) i mean he's he's just been been a gem like every every teammate has said how great of a teammate he has been this year and I, I think the question is going to be for the Blazers. Do you think you can get something better in free agency? Um, I, I don't think I give him the full mid-level, but if he would Hell take no. 
if you would take that $4 million biannual. Would he take the biannual? Uh, I think that's what it comes down for me. Like, I want Melo back. Like, I've seen enough. Mm. Even if he starts, you know, he's not going to be playing big minutes. I think he can play in this modern NBA. He doesn't take, I think, shots out, out of his skill set now. He's incredible at the catch and shoot. He's pretty he, – he tries on defense and – I mean, at three point six million, if you can get Carmelo for another year, I, I would love to run this, run it back with Melo with even more uh, reinforcements. What, what do you think, Sage? Let Let's be real about Melo, though. To say that he took a small role is kind of it, it, it. It's crazy because he did have a twenty one percent usage rate. He his his fingerprints were all over the game. You know, he, his decisions were twenty for. Every time he was in, 20% of our uh, shots, assists, and turnovers. So was were, that for his entire season? I I have – I can make it smaller to the bubble. Make but yes, this is – Because Nurkic is going to take up more of that. And so I, I can understand him being 20% for the season because I think it it elevated early on when it was really just Dame, CJ, and Melo. Because like Rodney went out. Uh, we didn't have Trevor quite yet. Zach was never there. Uh, Hassan's not a big usage player with us. Well, he's a 20% usage rate player in the playoffs, too. And Hassan had like a 20% usage rate this year as well. So, wait, how, how does that add up? I thought everything had to add up to 100%. It's when you're in the game, the usage rate for uh, you as the individual in the game. So, yeah, like, when Dame's in, it's 30%. When Melo's in, it's 21%. So he does have a big impact on us this year. I don't think we can ever not have him have a big impact in the game when he's in. He's been there, done that. And I think I'm, I, I think about our team. And outside of Dame, CJ, Melo, and Nurkic, we have a bunch of young bucks. I would like for us to have those vets that have done things in the NBA for Nasir Little to talk to, a Anthony Simons to talk to. Gary Trent, even. A Gary Trent. Our first-round pick that probably is going to be our pick. Like, there's going to be more and more younger players in, inter- intertwined in this roster. To have a vet like Carmelo Anthony is really valuable. So for him to be on this team for a reasonable contract. If let's just agree that he says BA is fine to have him be on the team to mentor and to ball when called upon is huge. And if it can, if we can do it within a reasonable salary, I think it, it has way more benefits than cons. Like I think he's realizing that he's at the twilight of his career and he wants to educate the young players. You see all of these young guys, like kind of idolize him. He's gonna he's gonna talk some real shit, and you don't want Damian to be the f- oldest player on the court and the leader. Like you need other vets that to to motivate these players. So if if Melo is willing to accept the biannual, hell yeah, we would love to have him back. If money money is gonna be the almighty factor in whether or not he stays on this team. If he wants more, then. I don't know if we can afford to get you that 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 MLE money. But if you're thinking BAE, absolutely. The biannual, sure. I think you'll you'll help Gary Trent's development. You'll help Anthony Simons. You'll help the rookies. You'll help him this year. 
it's way more benefits. So I'm all about Melo uh, playing and staying and finishing his career in Portland. I think that'd be an awesome ending to his story because we did take that chance on him. No other team was going to touch him. We, we had that need of, we need a power forward mellow. Will you, would you accept this role? And he did. And we made the fucking playoffs being the most injured team in the league. So for Portland, what did you clearly Anthony Simons, what was given the keys to, to the backup point guard role last off season, Portland had no money for Seth Curry. We really had no money at all. So it was, that's why we signed Mello for so cheap. (laughs) Yeah. It was almost by default. Like like we, we had to play Anthony Simons and we saw him, continue on that trajectory from the season finale against the Kings, you know, hitting potential game winners against the Philadelphia 76ers. There was a stretch against the Clippers. It was a TNT game in Staples where he took over that second quarter. Like Paul George, Kawhi, I think PG was out, but Kawhi was on the floor, Pat Bev, like cooking them. And then he hit the sophomore wall and he, he hit it pretty hard. And I don't think he really ever recovered. recovered yeah. He had a couple of moments here and there, but, but never – where you, he didn't ha- have a ceiling moment, but what I, I thought he played really well tonight, Sage. Absolutely, he played great. He got 28 minutes, which I think is important for a young player to, to work through a couple of mistakes because he's not going to get 28 minutes during, yes, this is the game that matters, but clearly Damian Lillard wasn't there. But he had, he had 13 points, four of seven more impo- from the field, more importantly, three of four from downtown, five rebounds, two assists, four steals and only two turnovers. And and what I think I've come to the realization, at least early on in his career, he wasn't holding the ball. He he wasn't initiating. He's a two. He's a two. He is a two right now. So do you think he's a two forever or a two right now? I think I'm leaning towards he's a shooting guard. I think he's a two for at least during Dame's prime years. And, And that's significant because Rodney Hood's a 2-3. Trevor Ariza, probably a 2-3-4. Gary Trent Jr. is a 2-3. I mean, you see where I'm going here. I mean, we don't have, we have a role for a point guard. I we don't need, think we need a point guard. We have $30 million tied up into CJ as the as the, as the starting two. So there, there aren't very many backup two minutes. We, we, need a, we need a point guard, Sage. I think out of necessity, he has to play the two unless we bring in a Goran Dragic or something. You know, it, it, it's we haven't addressed the, the point, backup point guard in his entire stay in Portland. Dame's entire stay. Dame's entire stay in Portland. So we were hoping and praying that Anthony would be that that backup one. But I, I, I he's a shooting guard. <laughs> he can make the basic read offensively, but anytime that it isn't scripted, you pass it here. I don't think he's making the right play. And that's no disrespect to him. It's we're watching this game from a from a elevated view where we can see the court easier than him being on the court as a person. I don't think that he is an advanced enough read point guard for to be a, to be a lead initiator. I think he is a two guard until he proves otherwise and can make other reads. And there's no problem if he if if we figured out today that Anthony Simons is a two guard, it makes things a lot harder for him to find minutes currently. 
But it, that might not be the case in two years. If he's the backup to Gary Trent's the starting three and Ariza's gone and Hood's somewhere else, that there's there's spots open for Anthony to play that too. So as of right now, I'm not worried about the log jam because rosters move so often. But it it shows that we have a role that needs to be filled by a capable backup point guard. Yeah, I, I was I think I was more alluding to the fact that the log jam opens up opportunities to make others expendable with mm. Anthony being in that list, just knowing that the Blazers are in win now mode and in any other time you would hang on to Anthony for dear life. Like you're fearful that you're making the next Petrovich or Jermaine O'Neal trade where you trade a player too young and they go out and get the minutes that they need and, and they blossom it into all-stars all NBA. I mean, there, there's always that chance that that should happen, but there is, but Portland is now in a different mindset where they, they are, their backs are against the wall. They have to start taking some risks to get out from that, that position. I mean, and we have that transcendent point guard. We can't waste his, his prime on what if Anthony Simons is that good? You got to take your risks. I mean, are we trying to be the fifth seed next year? Or are we trying to win a championship for Damian Lillard? If our goal is to be the fifth seed, let's keep Anthony Simons. That's fine. But if we're trying to win a chip, if Anthony Simons is a linchpin for us getting a trade or not, then I think the risk is well worth the potential of Anthony Simons blowing up and making us look stupid in five years. Yeah. And again, I'm not advocating saying, Oh, we need to trade Anthony Simons. Now it's more, that's a realistic trade piece. I mean, how many trade pieces, legitimate trade pieces do we have right now? I would say four. I think the four legitimate trade pieces that would get other GMs to actually stay on the line. If you're inquiring, you've got Anthony Simons. He still has two years left on his rookie deal. He essentially came straight out of high school. You have Zach Collins, who again has a year left on on his deal. He is another, he is essentially a version of Noah Vonley where he's that lottery pick that maybe hasn't progressed as quickly as possible, but a team that's not in win now mode, they'll give you a veteran or they'll give you additional pieces so they can win later. Like they'll mm-hmm. take a, like Zach Collins, he's everything you want in, in a traditional modern, excuse me, not tra- in a modern big, he mm-hmm. just really hasn't put it together. You know, you can thank injuries for a lot of that. So that's, you know, we always look at the flyers that, that Neil takes on players. Zach Collins is a flyer that other GMs could take a, a risk on. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> What what would a t- potential GM have to give? It's a low-risk uh, trade for them. If Zach balloons into something great, they didn't trade that. Like The, 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 the cost for him is going to be small. So, that, I mean, it's always that risk uh, that somebody has to take for that, for that potential trade. But, yeah, I, I agree with you, those, those two. And I think... Trevor Ariza is probably the most interesting piece because of his the way his contract is um, scaled. Mm-hmm. So according again, according to Bobby Marks, Ariza's $12.8 million contract becomes guaranteed for next season if Portland does not waive him by 2 p.m. Pacific on October 18th. And if you look at 
what we accomplished with Ariza in in the regular season. Clearly, he came over with Wenyan Gabriel from Sacramento, as well as Caleb Swanigan for, for Kent Bazemore and Anthony Tolliver. So before the season was suspended due to the coronavirus, uh, Trevor Ariza was playing 33 minutes, 11 points, nearly five boards, 40% from the three, almost 50% from the field. And Portland ranked number one in offensive rating in the 21 games he started. So yes, we def- yes we saw the benefits of Gary Trent Jr. getting additional minutes, but Portland was also hindered without Ariza's presence. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Ariza would have been our starting four. Or yeah, he's 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 locked into one year starting four positions. Yeah. He he can play either. He is a catch and shoot uh, three and D. He doesn't try to do too much. He he's knows himself. He knows he's incredibly intelligent, especially on the defensive end of the floor. Really can help that communication. This, to me, becomes the the most interesting part of Portland's offseason. We've seen how good he, he is, but he's also 36 years old. So this is essentially, I think, okay, we got him for one more year. Mm. And what's more valuable, his one year or the potential trade ship that he can net us? A good team, a, a team that's looking for that missing piece, or I, a reason could be that. A team that is rebuilding. I, I, I would argue that because he wasn't shit in Sacramento. He needs the, the, no, the no, pressure. Contract-wise, he's a, he's a one-year deal. Yeah. So a team looking to rebuild says, hey, Orlando, for example, Take Aaron Gordon off our hands. We don't want to pay him $15, $16 million for two, three seasons, whatever it is. We'll take a first-round pick and Trevor Re- – what, what, I'm just throwing hypotheticals. These are what GMs and, and management have to think about. Like if you're not contending, okay, we got to cut salary. And don't, don't think about um, – don't underestimate the impact that the coronavirus has had on the league. Uh, the financials could be impacted – Gravely, and mm-hmm. we don't know what we don't know what the salary cap is going to look like. Uh, we've already heard rumors of general managers looking to sell first round picks, which hasn't happened in ten years. So there, there could be teams with with deep owners or deep deep pockets that are out there. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll buy a first round pick. You want you want us to take on a guy with more salary? If it's more talent, let, let's go, baby. We you can, can do see this. Miami doing that with their cap space. Exactly. And so that that's why Ariza makes such an interesting piece because does Portland go all in with him now or what kind of upgrade is even out there? What can we get in, in, in free agency? You know, we do have the mid-level exception, which can get you, I think, a solid player, but we were so good. Like, do, do we try to test out a fully healthy roster and, and kind of see what we can get there? So it's just... And then you got to think about Ariza, like... To d- before the season starts is going to be his all-time value. Like, do we s- – is the goal to sell at his peak or are we going to try and see? I mean, Ariza's – the Ariza decision is going to be a very interesting move for us. Do we trade him at the draft or or what happens? Because there's arguments to be made about both. I mean, yeah, it's it's difficult to think about because Damon CJ's extensions kick in next season. So after the, after this upcoming season, it kicks in the summer of twenty one. By that time, New York's gonna have one year left on his deal. You're gonna have to pay Gary Trent Jr. Um, 
God, who who knows what else Zach Collins is going to be up for for a contract extension. So Neil O'Shea needs to navigate this. Mm-hmm. And he's going to have to navigate it smartly because okay, if you trade for a guy like Kelly Oubre, he's going to need a new contract as well. Trevor Ariza, if he plays well, I, he knows he's not getting twelve million dollars in his next contract. Hell, he may even retire. Mm-hmm. So that's why this draft is important. Do you draft his replacement? Is his replacement already on the roster with a, a Gabriel or a Little and or a Trent? I mean, we, we've seen wonderful things from, from Gary. So it's just very uncertain when it comes to Trevor Ariza. And it's unfortunate he wasn't able to, to play in the bubble with the Blazers. You know, his custody, he was able to spend that month of July with his son. And that was important for him. Like he wanted to to raise him especially in the times that we are in today and i commend him for that i think that mm-hmm. was a wonderful it's decision but it was kind of bogus that the nba didn't let him back in the bubble when he's like okay like i can come play i want to come play we would have had him for the stretch run it would have given our players a lot more rest it just would have given us a decent look at what this team could like it could look like at full strength and so the last piece, I think we have our first round pick. It's going to be the 16th pick in the draft. It's not a, um, a class that people are writing home about, but it is a, a, a mid first round pick, basically a late lottery pick. So you got four, four pieces and blazer fans out there expecting us to make a big splash. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think we have the pieces to do it. I, I we've discussed this age. I think we're a backup five, probably a starting four and a backup one. I think those are the three areas that Neil's going to have to to navigate with, with the, the exceptions that we have. We have trade exceptions. We have a mid-level exception to sign a free agent. Uh, we have a draft pick. We could possibly make a consolidation type of trade. We don't need to hit home runs. A couple, three singles right here, Sage. And I, I love our roster. Do you think that Gold State could find Trevor Ariza a useful commodity and a, and a and Zach Collins two useful commodities. Golden State, yeah, absolutely. Wouldn't it be insane if everybody's saying this draft sucks? Neil's like, okay, this is an all-time low how, how people feel about drafts. Let's get the second pick. <laughs> <laughs> Let's trade Ariza. Let's trade Ariza and Zach Collins for the second pick. <laughs> Ariza, Zach Collins, and the sixteenth for for the second. <laughs> I mean, everything is on the table right now of what we can do with the assets that you labeled. That I, I think I think Gary Trent has la- put himself at the untradeable. You don't you don't put Gary Trent in it, but everyone else that you just said is on the table to be traded. Wouldn't it be the weirdest move and something Neil O'Shea might be thinking? I love Killian Hayes. Let's get him. <laughs> if I took Killian Hayes number two, I would riot. He's number one on my uh, tears list. He's number one. He can't shoot. <laughs> he can shoot. Actually, anyway. I've never, I've, I've, I'm going to be honest. I've never actually seen him play. Okay. <laughs> yes. I mean, like. It, it's crazy like, it's tough because it, it's like, oh, the number two pick, you're thinking, fuck, you know, you can get a guy like Marcus Camby, you can get Kevin Durant, like all of the, the number two picks, uh, Alonzo Mourning that, that have came out over the years. And it's like, oh, we could get a guy who could be basically Anthony Bennett 2.0. Like, it's not your traditional number. I mean, two. Yo, I, I, 
I think we all knew the risk Anthony Bennett was, though. I, I, you worked for the Blazers, and I was on radio every week. Like, we knew the risk that the Cleveland Cavaliers made doing that shit. Oh no, I was making, I was having our team make graphics for Anthony Bennett to possibly be at our ten at or 10. eleven. Excuse me. There was like eighteen players we could have taken with that pick, and he was one of them. Like a mock draft had came out just right before that, and it had him going to the Blazers. It's like, oh, oh shit, maybe. And then he goes I mean, one. Everyone's collective heads are are you know going crazy, and we're we're running around. Um, but yeah, like that, that's just something that a good GM does. You buy low and you sell high. So it, it'll be interesting to see what the Blazers do, Sage. But I want to go back. God, I think we did this middle of the season when we were talking about you know having hope for for the next season. If you look at the Blazers roster, and I think you had the statistic from last season, when we had Tame, CJ, Hoodie, Zach, and Nurk played a minuscule amount of time together. It was like 21 minutes. Oh, <laughs> one second. I have, to, I have to make it so it's 2018 or yeah, 2019. Yeah, they didn't play it with each other at all this season. Yeah, so I, I had to – I was like, Rodney Hood's not – oh, yeah, I have to change uh, – Filters. Zach and Nurk. Zach, Nurk, Hood, CJ, and Dame. All five of them together. <laughs> Eight possessions, three minutes. <laughs> so that was our projected starting lineup whenever Nurkic came back from injury. Like that, that's what Neil's vision was when, you know, he chose hood of the three Cantor and Curry. Like we, we chose to go with hood. We let him go. Zach played well against Denver. We're, we're going to, that that's our, our five we're going to roll with. Well, we didn't even see that this year. And they had only, I mean, that, that was even going off of just potential and what we envisioned. We hadn't even seen it. it the prior. I mean, and so I say, sent you this text of, I think a few days ago, like remember the Dell Dumps finishing five with Drew Holiday, Eric Gordon, Tyreek Evans, uh, Ryan Anderson, and Anthony Davis. They played like 200, 300 more minutes than we have in the three years. It on paper, it sounds so nice, but it's a shame that injuries will never put what's in theory on on the actual floor because of injuries. And, you know, we had players that deserve the minutes above Zach Collins with Al Farouk Amino. So it, it's a, you know, we're, we're really thinking of, you know, we're, we're, we're conjecturing about what, what could possibly happen in, in reality. We haven't seen shit. Yeah. It's tough. We're not in a Toronto Raptors position where they had, you know, Lowry and Demar and, and Ibaka, and they were getting ousted every single year by LeBron. Like th- that was what was going on. They could never get to the finals. We we haven't even seen what what we can accomplish. You know, we made it to the Western Conference Finals the year prior. We scrapped despite all the injuries to make the the playoffs this year. You know, clearly Dame's a top five player. And, and Sage, if if I were to say the Blazers core and let's assume Carmelo resigns and I'm not talking about 
draft pick or mid-level exception to trades, you know, our core rotation guys, you've got Dame, CJ, Trevor, Carmelo, Nurkic, Trent, Trent, and Rodney Hood. So you, you've got seven guys that have never played together on the same, at the same time. Mm-hmm. That, that's your seven. And, and I think for the Blazers, you almost have to, that is your best path forward because it, it is an unknown. And it's not like you can say, oh, we've tried that. We've been there. We've done that. We need to find an upgrade. I think that's what they did with Mo Harkless and Alfred Camino. Like it may have worked out. It may have not. But you, you had seen the peak of that team. The Blazers don't have all this cap space. They don't have a ton of draft capital. They don't really have a ton of trade chips. You know, we kind of just broke that down. It's, it's a decent haul, but it's not going to get you a top 30, top 50 player. Mm. The Blazers really are, I think they get one shot at it this year, this next year before they say, okay, we may have to go in a completely different direction. But I think you, you're going to have to roll with your, your big three is Dame, CJ, and Nurk. We, and I'm not saying it's good enough or it's not good enough. That That's the fact of the matter to me. I think that is the, the big three. And you have your role players with Carmelo, if he comes back, Gary Trent Jr., Zach Collins, Trevor Reza, Rodney Hood. Like that that's your seven to eight man rotation plus a, a mid-level. And I know it may not be the sexiest offseason. It may not be the offseason that we get. But I think it's the most realistic and uh, I do think the Blazers would be doing themselves a disservice if they tried to completely dismantle this team mm-hmm. again. Uh, we saw Sage, you know, we've been doing this since 2015 weekly podcasts. The Blazers have in a lot of those years been under undermanned. And especially when the, basically the mass exodus happened after 2015 what kept them strong was chemistry and continuity. Mm -hmm. They did not have that one iota this season. And it was even worse by all of the injuries, all of the two-way players we had to bring up, all of the players we had to bring in like Carmelo, the mid-season trades. I mean, it was really just Dame and CJ. Those are the only two guys that had played with one another for any amount of time. Rodney Hood, who was considered a, a core piece, was acquired midseason. Zach Collins, a core piece, had never started. The Blazers need to have some form of chemistry and continuity. We're not just going to have a super team with two top 10 guys like LeBron and AD and it it all of a sudden just works and you can just throw pieces together like that. We're we're never going to have two top 10 guys. And I think we need to think more like the 2000 Blazers, the 2004 Pistons, the current year Raptors, we're going to have to get familiar with one another and give it a real shot. And I don't know what the coronavirus holds in store for the next season of basketball, whether that's 82, whether that's in the bubble, we, we don't know. And I think that's what also plays in favor of going with what, you know, mm. like we know we have these guys coming back under contract. They've been injured, but they're talented. Can, can they make it work? And, you know, I, I, like we said, you got to get yourself a backup five. If you could get a starting four or a backup one with your mid-level, that's fantastic. You got your draft pick. You just need like a couple of singles. We don't need to hit a grand slam. I don't think that grand slam's on the table. I think the only way we get a grand slam or a home run of a, of a player is one of our rookies takes a humongous step forward or one of our young blood. Like what Gary did this bubble. Well, 
I was I was thinking about the Celtics when they traded for KG and Ray Allen. They had Paul Pierce, but Rondo, the emergence of Rondo, was a huge reason why they won the chip and were so successful. The only way we get a superstar in the next year is if Anthony or Gary or both take that huge next step forward and they reach the peak of what Anthony or Gary can do. I That's the only way. I see your little in that that category as well. Do you think he gets the consistent amount of minutes? I, I don't know if it's going to come from actual game game time. You know, especially we talked about that log jam, and if you bring back Melo, there's going to be a log jam at the at the forward and guard position. But you know, we we talked about fi- the finances and those extensions of Damon CJ kicking in and contracts that need to be paid for from guys like Gary and then Nurkic in a couple of years and. How, however, Zach progresses, you know, if, if you keep him on the team and you got to. And Andrew Nicholson needs his money. Yeah. You know, Festus Azili, you know, thank God he's finally off the books, but we still verge out for another year. Like we got some dead money. And if Ariza gives us this one year, it, it may be another scenario where just financially we're, we're strapped and we have to say, okay, Nasir, essentially what we did with Anthony, we're going to do with you. Like you're going to get the, the backup three minutes. Like you're going to be in our rotation. Like this would be his third year with the club at the time. You know, he was projected to be a lottery pick. You know, when it comes to those type of talents, third year is usually when you're ready to start producing. And so the Blazers are going to have to really rely internally. Like we're, we're not a free agent destination. We're, we don't have money. That, that's never been our MO. Internally, we're going to have to start seeing some progression. And it's going to have to be like a mini farm system where it's like, you know, thank you for your service, you know, Trevor. Okay, next man up. How, how do we do this? You know, there, there's only so many Damon CJs where they're there year after year after year. You got, this is why using your draft picks are wisely. If you know, if you can't trade this current pick for, you know, a win now piece, draft wisely because in two three years that's going to be a core piece. This draft pick is valuable because you never know who's going to turn out to be who. Like. There's can't miss prospects that absolutely fucking miss. I mean, remember when Ben McLemore, Thomas Robinson, until this year, Ben McLemore's career was pretty god awful, right? He got onto the right team, right structure, and now he's a C plus player. He's not a player you take in the first round. He's not the guy that you pick sixth or no, it was seventh. Because the draft, the draft's funny, bro. So you know, some person. Some Greek guy that uh, the Milwaukee Bucks took a shot on hit hit at the highest level. So, you know, there's always that chance of, you know, internal growth, I think, is our biggest opportunity to get a superstar level player. We, we, we saw it today. I mean, this might be recency bias, but Anthony looked like he belonged in those minutes that he was playing off ball. So I want to answer this this fan question uh blazers down under again comes through with another fantastic question he says running it back even with a healthy nurk hoodie and zach still seem short of giving dame the squad he needs for a championship what options do we have to get a serious one a wing player and two a second unit point guard i think we'll be talking about that those two subjects throughout the entire offseason. There's a lot of point guards that deserve time. 
I mean, the wings, it could be Rodney, it could be Rodney Hood, it could be Gary Trent Jr. We don't have the unlimited amount of money to get big, big, uh, big time quality players. So it, it's going to have to be finding diamonds in the rough and uh, drafting well and player development. Thank you. Yeah, we need it, it, good it player can, development. and It can be done. The reason the Blazers, a huge reason the Blazers made it to the Western Conference Finals in 2019, Sage, was shrewd moves by Neil O'Shea. Mm-hmm. Seth Curry was out the entire 17-18 season. He came, that's why he was on such a bargain. Yeah, he approved. Rodney Hood was acquired for Nick Stauskas and Wade Baldwin. There are stupid teams out there that have good players. You just have to go get it. Ennis Cantor was a buyout market candidate. We still have trade exceptions that we can go and find. So... Again, I don't think we're going to get that splashy player. And I I do agree. As much as I love CJ and as much as I love Nurk, there's there's no roster that that we can give that's worthy of Damian Lillard. We can't package and go out and get an Anthony Davis or or a Paul George and say, Dame, here's your other top 10, top 15 player. It's just not there. As much as we value those players, I don't think they necessarily have that value uh, from from the rest of the GMs, especially you know CJ's making thirty million. Like that, yeah, that he's is making buku bucks. That, that's a big number. So I'm happy to keep them on the team because I think we're gonna have to. I mean, that's our squad. Like we're in the, we're in the trenches. CJ and Nurk are right alongside Dame, and I don't think he would have it any other way. I but mean, if you're talking about a wing or a backup one, I think Neil O'Shea needs to have a big board with his mid mid level exception, and he's gonna have to say, okay, I've got. Top tiers on both. I'm going to go basically who says yes first. Is it going to be a Goran Dragic? Is it going to be a Jeremy Grant? Is it going to be maybe a Mason Plumley? What Paul Millsap's available? I'm not. There's just, there's a lot of good quality. You know, what wing. trade exceptions do we have? Again, according to that Bobby Marks piece, which is on ESPN, Plus, which my man hooked me up with, $5.6 million to receive in a trade and $3.8 million to send out in a trade. So I think that is an area where it's almost like the buyout market, but it's not that quite much of a last resort because you have a deadline to when you can use those. But again, this is like, I'm never really a fan of drafting for need. I always take best player available. I use free agency to find those fits. Whatever Portland doesn't find with their mid-level, they need to go out and acquire with with these exceptions. Mm -hmm. And you can get, you know, just we're not looking for, an all NBA backup point guard. We're just looking for a veteran who can play decent defense, run an offense, probably look to pass first, but can hit an open shot. And someone who's been around the block, I think veteran presence is what's going to help this team. The lot, I mean, we don't need any more Thomas. Uh, I love Thomas Robinson. We don't need any more types of players like a Mario Hazonia or Noah Vonley or a Thomas Robinson. No more reclamation projects. We need to know, okay, your ceiling's a C plus. Okay. Bet. Let's go out and get you because we'll take a C plus backup point guard. That's all we need. We don't need guys who have a lot of potential. I want experienced players that have been around the ball. Guys like Austin Rivers would be a fantastic backup point guard. I mean, I'm going to write a blog post on this, but you know who is my sneaky uh, trade exemption point guard? Alfred who? Payton. Yeah. He drives, he gets contact, and he goes to the line. He can run an offense. He averages 10 points a game in limited minutes off the bench anyway. I mean, the Knicks have 
Frank Nielakina, Dennis Smith, whoever they drafted in the first round, it's probably going to be a lead initiator. Alfred and Payton's kind of the Knicks well, are stupid. I mean, what I would take Alfred Payton can run, run an offense. I've seen it. So I, I think Portland's big, their biggest asset is that mid level exception. I think you're going to get, and you players. can split it up too, like we did with uh, Seth Curry and uh, Gary Trent Jr. We drafted Gary Trent. We signed him to a MLE. Boom! I remember stuff. Very small amount of the MLE. Yeah, I know, okay. but but it made him a restricted free agent because second round picks are usually unrestricted. Yeah, but he's not restricted this year. We get one more year. Yeah, yeah one more year of a restricted free agency. So that that's really what Portland's gonna have. I think he's got a target. He's probably got a couple of targets in mind. And again, I think if we're looking at players. Zach Collins is a player I don't anticipate him moving. Um, that's GMs hold on to their own, especially players they drafted. It, it would have to be a significant upgrade for the Blazers because you never want to sell low. And, and mm-hmm. Zach Collins's value has never been lower. So I don't anticipate Neil just throwing him in as a salary cap filler. He'll want to make sure he can actually get an upgrade. And then, you know, Trevor Reza w- with his contract, but we performed so well with him that you know, this may be a thing where you get your draft pick, you get your mid-level exception, you bring back mellow and a couple of exceptions. And you, you go with there and, and you see where you're at and maybe you go to the trade deadline. But I think we can't underestimate chemistry and continuity, especially when you're in a smaller market, especially when you're playing a deeper rotation and especially when you just have like one superstar. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't just have big three dynamic duo that, that we can just roll out there and it doesn't really matter who the fuck else you have as long as you're a confident. And people are willing to take cheapo contracts to play with yeah, superstar A, superstar B. Like you know Rondo, it wasn't going to lead. Like, he wanted to win one more chip. KCP wanted one more chip. All these players, all these rando-ass players that went to the Lakers wanted that opportunity to get that one last ship with LeBron. So, I mean, when, when you have that dynamic duo of top, two top 10 guys, like, shit gets easier. You saw how we got Ennis Cantor. We had all this promise in the world. People wanted to play with us. We don't really have that right now. We're a really nice story, but right now it's that buyout market's not as, not as good of an option as it was two years ago. You look at the Clippers, they got. Reggie Jackson for for nothing. Mm-hmm. He's there. I would love Reggie Jackson's backup. Reggie point. Jackson would be a great backup point guard, and, and that's just what happened. So if yeah. if we're playing well heading into the the buyout market next year, things can get a lot easier. Exactly, Absolutely. it's all about performance. So I don't think the roster that comes out opening day will be the roster that we finish with. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there it won't be the same roster, but again, it probably might be small tinkering trades if that i just i don't want blazer fans to get their expectations up i don't think this is the year they they make wholesale changes. i don't think that this is the year they make the trade if 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 shit doesn't work out yeah absolutely in the future we'll they probably might, make the trade face a couple of more difficult questions but i think the blazers i think terry stotts i think neil O'Shea, i think they bought themselves one more year like it's as frustrating as I, I am with both of them at times, thinking about it rationally, 
it wouldn't be fair to just say, oh, they, they, they need to go. Um, neither was really dealt a very good hand this year. Both are, you know, are at fault for certain things, but at the end of the day, they, they weren't playing with a full deck. And I really want to see what this team looks like with a full deck with, with a couple extra, maybe wild cards thrown in there. And, you know, we've kind of discussed those options. Any more questions? That was uh, the main question that we had, my friend. So do you want to talk about what you've been working on for the last two days? Yeah. So we have holybackboard.com. It is up. You can view it now. There's there ain't, there ain't shit on there uh, except for our podcast feed, but uh, there will be some pieces that Sage and I will write. Uh, I'll let Sage kind of speak on his writing style and what he's thinking about, but my style, I'm not going to hit you with a ton of analytics. I'm not going to hit you with a, you know, a advanced stats. It's mostly going to be uh, from a fan perspective, given, you know, my, my 30 years as a fan, a lot of emotion, emotional driven pieces. And, you know, I, I'm going to work on a piece this weekend and, and hopefully it's up next week, but it's all going to be about, you know, maintaining perspective, you know, fans, and, and I'm guilty of this as well can be very uh irrational you know like, oh man look at yo dog i mean our our, our text chains have gotten oh. gotten there so I, I i know you have it in you to be very irrational but i keep it between you i'm not i don't spread my business yeah, i know i know <laughs> so you know you say things in the heat of the moment but like you kind of take a step back and be like okay i, I do think that this team is going to be good mm-hmm. and and here's why so that's kind of what you know a little bit more longer form that's what I like to get into. I'm really excited. Uh, you know, WordPress first time navigating that. This, I think the site looks pretty good. I don't think it's, it's sexy. Yeah. You know, so um, pretty stoked and holybackboard.com. So yeah, my writing style will be probably very nerdy. Um, I'm probably talk about a lot of analytics, but I, I want to uh, talk about individual games because with this podcast, we talk about games once a week. So I think me doing a individual breakdown of the matchups on each team will be good reading. Um, I want to talk about the missing pieces. The, I want to do an article called Missing Piece, Finding the Missing Piece, because we have four assets that we can do something with. I want to talk about what I think A, B, and C should be, and I would love to have Dustin Wright articles about that as well because yo this it's the most important thing is finding those core pieces to surround Damian Lillard with and if what the move's going to be is we run it back but have four new players we probably have to discuss who who we'd want to be those four players but I've, I've wanted to do it, write a blog for a while, and uh, this is going to be a really cool experience to run it with the person that I also do all of my basketball uh, content with. But yeah, put this in your CD-ROM, www.holybackboard.com. If anyone got that reference, you listen to way too much hip-hop. I don't think CD-ROMs go to the internet, but cannabis said that in 96 i'll give him all the credit he deserves (laughs) but yeah and you'll probably hear me i'll probably do stupid posts about what i like in hip-hop i don't give a shit (laughs) 
But uh, thank you all for listening. Check out holybackboard.com. You can check out this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, Dash Radio, Nothing But Net Radio, Tuesdays 2 to 3, Pacific, Eastern, 4 to 5. And if you listen this far, you're a real one. And thank you so much for listening to us throughout this year. It has been a very successful year in terms of people listening to the show. And I know it might be boring with just the two of us, but we record late. So getting guests is kind of a difficult difficult thing for us so thank you for chilling and listening to us talk about your favorite team yeah i would just add continue to be active in your communities go out and vote if you can if you're a registered voter awesome if you can get others to register that's fantastic i just recently signed up with an organization uh, votefwd.org it is a postcard writing system so essentially it gives you mailing addresses to voters who are maybe unlikely to vote in key swing states um you can sign up for five addresses and then add five more you can do 20. um it just seems like now more than ever with the supreme court that it's going to be determined with this election that that we can can tweet all we want you know, we can have good intentions, but we we still have to have tangible actions. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely good to to you know, express your opinions and and to be in, in the right state of mind and have the heart in the right place. But I think it also goes hand in hand with with actionable items. And we saw that with the NBA and what they're going to do. And you know, clearly, if you listen to this podcast at all, you you know where where we lean, what what side of history we're going to be on, and we're all about equality and justice and the the selection the candidate for you know biden harris they maybe you're your top pick you may not be super stoked on them but it's it's important to to go out there and and get this done like we're currently recording on august 29th there's already been a a, a counter protester that that was that was killed um, downtown Portland. Like there was a, a, a Donald Trump caravan and the counter protesters came out and I'm, I'm not certain if this person was a counter protester or not. I don't think that has been revealed at this time, but, but someone was killed. And, and unfortunately things are just, are, are getting, words can't really express what, what's going on. And I'm not saying this election is, is going to fix everything, but Again, it's it's what we can do as citizens is hold our elected officials accountable and vote the ones in that are going to best represent all of us, each and every one of us. Um, also, just as a person, hug 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 your loved ones, contact your family, contact your friends, stay in contact. We tomorrow's never given; it's it's never guaranteed. So, you know, Sage, I look forward to these podcasts. Every time we get to do them, I'm looking forward to doing them in the off season. You know, I haven't seen you or hugged you since March 10th. Whoa, yeah, that was the day before the NBA shut down. We went to the Phoenix Suns Blazer game. Blazers got that. They got that important. Turned out to be an incredibly important victory. <laughs> yeah, it's super important. Well, that's the last time I have physically have seen you. But you know, I haven't seen time. a single person since that day. Yeah. So you know, we're doing our part to to stay home. You know, it, it's crazy that a global pandemic can get lost 
into what everything else is going on and just just be there for your friends, your family, your loved ones. If even if you follow someone on a social platform and you've never met them, but you've connected one way or another, be there for them. Um, empathy. Uh, you know, I know I'm kind of going over the place, but I think everything kind of ties into one another. Like just, just love one another, be there for one another and hold everyone that you ma- that you value like close to you. And don't, don't take anything for granted because it's, it's definitely some strange times we're living in Sage, but you know, I, I, I love you. I, I love doing this podcast with you. It's one of the th- things that brings me joy and I hope that everyone listening, I hope this brings you just a little bit of joy. If that does that, that, that makes everything that we do worth it. You may not agree with, with some of our takes, um, but as long as we provide you some entertainment, some moment away from reality, so, some hope, some joy, some laughter, uh, that, that means the, the world to me. And so thank you for listening. It's, it's been a, a difficult, trying yet at the same time, kind of incredible season. One that no matter how much we may try to forget, we'll never forget. Um, it, like, like we said, when we, when we intro this, it's been a long, strange journey and we went through it together and we look forward to, to more of these journeys and more seasons. Um, yeah, I think that that's all I, all I Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night. Hey, everybody. Let's go. Let's go.